Welcome to TWIST, This Week in Sustainability, the podcast all about sustainable consumer goods. This week, we're going to talk about hot windows and cool roofs. My first guest is Professor Liang Bing Hu from the University of Maryland, the Department of Material Science and Engineering, and the Center for Materials Innovation. So um, may I call you Bing? Yes, please. Okay. And I, I'd like you to just uh, sort of summarize your background, your education, um, and how long you've been at Maryland. Yeah, so I've been in Maryland for almost 10 years. Uh, and uh, I got my PhD in uh, physics from UCLA. Uh, after that, I spent a few years in Silicon Valley, uh, working on a startup company. Uh, was a space uh, was a spin off uh, for my uh, based on my PhD work, and then I spent two year, two and a half years in Stanford doing my postdoc work on batteries, and after oh. that I came to Maryland. Cool. So batteries are another one of my favorite um, green chemistry issues. So, <laughs> yeah. um, we'll 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 get to that later. So today, um, the reason I'm talking to you, interviewing you, is that I think these transparent wood is really cool. Um, I, I just, I love wood. My, um, my father, my dad was, uh, owned a lumber and hardware company. Oh, nice. And as you might be able to see behind me, I've got wood floors and all kinds of wood. Yeah. Um, things in my house. I love wood. And then cellulose is a major material in green chemistry. It's, it's such, it's the most abundant source of carbon-based material on the planet. So mm -hmm. um, let's get started. And what I want to do is talk about both the papers that I've read of yours, which are, one of them is about transparent wood and the other is about aesthetic wood. So I thought we'd start with transparent wood and just have you walk us through the, I think five or six different um, properties that make this transparent wood advantageous over glass for windows hmm. specifically. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you, Felicia, for gave this opportunity. Yeah, so we've been working on, uh, you know, wood-based materials uh, for almost 10 years. And this transparent wood basically is one of the, the invention um, uh, we have with this material, yeah. Um, uh, the, the focus is to replace glass um, uh, for the following advantages. Um, first of all, this material, uh, um, has a better thermal insulation property. Uh, means it has a lower thermal conductivity. It's about a six times lower. So, um, so that. Just in terms of like for the public, um, can you kind of state that in terms of our values? Because I think most people think of, you know, house insulation in terms of our values. Do you do you have an idea? Yeah, our value, I think it also depends on the thickness. Sure, uh, sure. Yeah, but the, it's, it's about a six times better than, than glass in, okay. in, in basically rejecting the heat. And uh, um, um, so that's the, the first thing is the, the thermal insulation. 
uh, I think the second uh, advantage is this uh, night distribution uh, difference that it is preferred. Um, uh, when you when you design in uh, uh, you know you can take advantage of the the channels in the wood, so those channels can eventually serve as the uh, waveguide, right? So you can guide your light into the house. That was a really interesting thing. This idea of a light waveguide, um, something that I'm not a physicist, so I don't really understand that well. And I I know you mentioned lossy waveguides. Um, can you go a little bit more into that? What what that means? So, um, I mean, the, the waveguide effect means, you know, uh, of course, waveguide is, is, is widely known, but, you know, we basically realize this waveguiding effect you by taking the net, the, 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 uh, the intrinsic anisotropic uh, uh, structure in wood, which are the channels, right? That's the hollow fibers in wood. Uh, if you take those fibers out, and you know they, they basically the, the building block for the regular paper substrate. Yeah. But uh, in the wood uh, matrix, they are actually hollow, like like a tube. So the diameter is up to fifty micron, sixty micron. Yeah. So it's much larger than the wavelength of the light. So basically, microscopically. Uh, serving as a guide uh, to uh, basically take more sunlight into your house. Yeah. So the guide effect is what the light bouncing off the walls and yeah. and going down the tubes. Yes. Is that yeah. The best way to describe it. Yeah, it's not like a perfect guide. Otherwise, you can basically uh, still the, on average, and still going go going forward like a, a small like. Um, size but you no know, because it's a little bit lossy so the light actually get get bounced back but it also get scattered yeah right so the light is coming from outside going through the wood material and and it's kind of you know uh, amplified to a much larger area and more uniform so regardless of the time of the day uh, you have a uniform distribution of the light inside the house oh that's really so, cool yeah. So from the building point of view, you know, you don't want to have this kind of glare effect, right? Like if you look at outside, you, you, you know, a certain time of the day, you, 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 you know, it's kind of anti-glare effect. So it's more uniform, more comfort. Right? It's, it's like when you read a piece of paper, you feel comfort because there's no, you know, direct light reflecting back into your eye, right? If you look, uh, read the plastic, it's going to be different, right? It's going to either you see something or you see nothing. Or right? an so, LED screen. Yeah. <laughs> So it's more comfort, it's more distributed than that. Yeah. So I, I would say that's the second uh, advantage. Okay. And uh, and so they are not just glass, they are actually uh, uh, better in, 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 in terms of the key properties uh, for, for, for building applications. Of course, you can talk about some other advantages in terms of uh, mechanical uh, toughness. You know, glass is very brittle. Once you break, it will shuttle right away. And it also, um, uh, it's a green material. I mean, you know, you, in this case, it's you know, uh, it's more sustainable. Um, you know, it's also structural material. Uh, you know, um, uh, from the mechanical point of view, yeah. So, uh, so I, I would say these are the major four advantages. Um, um, right. Yeah. So, um, in terms of just to to play uh, devil's advocate as a, a green chemist, 
um, one of the things that we think about is earth abundance. Yes. And glass is made of silicon and oxygen mm -hmm. primarily. And yes. so that those are very earth abundant sand. If yes. you know, people think about sand on the beach, that's yeah. um, trees are a little bit more, um, you know, carbon's actually more rare than mm -hmm. silicon. Mm -hmm. So um, you say it's a greener material, and I agree with you, but I just want you to clarify uh -huh. <laughs> why that is for the yeah. for our listeners. Yes, I think that's a, also a very valid uh, point. Um, uh, if you cut a tree, uh, if you don't uh, replant another tree, uh, plant another tree, then then that's not sustainable. Yeah. So the logic here is that uh, you know uh, when you plant a tree, uh, you take oxygen. CO2, right? And it's like a CO2 storage material, right? And then when you cut a tree, you also plant the two trees or five trees, you know, as a practice in many countries, right? <laughs> so, and, you know, on average, maybe two trees will grow uh, and to the full uh, length. And then, then you don't deforest, you don't have the deforestation problem. It's really about the forest management. And uh, uh, when we start to use more and more trees, people are getting more and more motivated to have a better management for the forest. So there's one other issue that you actually brought up in, I can't remember one of the two papers, but manufacturing costs, the energy yeah. costs of manufacturing glass. Mm -hmm. Can you go mm -hmm. into that a little bit? Yeah, so you can imagine glass or metals, you know, the other work we're trying to replace steel using the super wood. But those materials, like you know, organic uh, some ceramic or metals, are processed at a very high temperature, and and the, so it's very energy intensive process. And you also again will meet you meet a lot of CO two during the process. Right. And so, so uh, and when you process the wood, the temperature is at the most like boiling temperature. Uh, you know, the only way is more of the secondary bond, right? And not like those primary bond. So uh, it's much energy, uh, you know, less intensive compared with glass or steel process. Yeah. And our initial calculation, I think, in the other work, we estimate about one sixth of the energy consumption. And, uh, uh, you know, um, so I think it has advantage in that regard as well. And on, on the other hand, those manufacturers are well uh, established. I mean, the knowledge and the know-how and the, even the infrastructure are, are there. And you know, people uh, in those industries, they're facing problems because you know, uh, you know, with more advanced you know, man-made materials, you know, those industries are facing a demand issue, right? You know, right. And 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 if we can upgrade uh, the, the 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 performance of wood, they can open up more use. So that may actually help that industry, the, those paper and the wood industry. Um, you know, um, yeah, it's like a double win situation. It can help us. It can also give them, you know, help promote more jobs. You know, in, in, yeah. in those, uh, And in the long run, um, if we can save the energy of buildings, you know, by the insulating properties of these, mm -hmm. you know, wooden windows. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that uh, we had the part of the fund by USGA and the DOE Building Technology Office. Uh, idea is really to uh, look from energy saving point of view. Um, 
you know, in the summer and in the winter, uh, you know, we pay, uh, you know, much high bills because of the the heat just going in and out, uh, you know, between outside and your house. Yeah. So if we have better insulation, and um, you know, I think we're going to save energy dramatically. Up to some calculation we done is up to thirty percent. Yeah, I think for some uh, environment. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the next thing I want to do is I'm a chemist, and this is kind of a chemistry centered podcast. So I wanted to ask you about some of the, well, the way it's made, the way you make it. And so we can first start with the, for the transparent wood, you use this rotation cutting, rotation uh, cutting. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, you know, if you cut a tree across the growth stomach, along the growth direction, uh, you know, the diameter, the diameter of the tree determine the size of the wood block you have. Right. So that's, that's limiting, right? Because you, you know, it's very, but it, yeah, but if you cut along this growth, like the, 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 and the, the rings, right? So if you flip the, the tree, and you kind of like unroll the tree, yeah, it's, unroll it. <laughs> yeah, you can have a, a, a long uh, uh, shit, you're not going to be limited by the diameter of the tree anymore. So, so that's interesting, though, how do you flatten it? Is it wetted? Or how, how does it get flat? So, uh, so we, we, you know, we take the nickname out. And uh, um, do you do that when it's still bulk wood? Or no, we still um, uh, we still uh, when it's cut, you know, so the thickness, of course, you we're not cutting very thick one. You know, when you're talking about the glass or, or you know, it's typically like a few millimeters. Two right? millimeters, right? yeah. So in that case, the the curvature is not a problem. You will curve if you don't, if under no pressure uh, and no force, but you can manage to basically put everything inside the uh, the chemical. After you remove that nickening, the the whole thing becomes extremely flexible and soft. Ah, so it's in between once you take the lignin out and before you put the polymer in. So yes. for, the, for the listener, that's the, the two steps to this process is taking the lignin out and then sort of replacing it with a polymer that's yeah. transparent. Uh, you chose for this one, you chose balsa wood. Uh -huh. And so I was wondering is, is balsa wood very abundant or is it mainly a uh, tropical we used to make have toys made out of it when i was a kid very lightweight yeah it's a lightweight wood and and uh we, we choose basa wood um well we first of all this process is not limited to basa wood and actually u.s i don't think u.s produce a lot of basa wood we actually get it from canada but oh. in, in in u.s you have you do have a lot of you know, other kind of, you know, uh, like sure. pine, you know, especially the southern pine. Right. And, um, but this process is not limited to basal wood. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and then the bleaching process, you, for this one, you actually used bleach, which I've already spoken about um, last time when we talked about disinfectants. Bleach is sodium hypochlorite or um, oxychloride is the other way to explain what it is. 
and it's an oxidant. And um, we also had mentioned lignin um, in the bleaching process, specifically about wood to make paper. Um, and the problem with bleach is that it can make dioxins when you use it on wood because lignin is an aromatic compound and bleach has this ability to make chlorinated aromatic compounds. And so dioxins are a small percentage, but they are very toxic. And so I just, I wanted to share with you what, what you know, what's happening in green chemistry. Um, and have you just think about maybe incorporating this green chemistry into your process. Um, there's, there's a chemist um, named Terence Collins and he invented a catalyst. It's an iron TAML, T-A-M-L catalyst that you can activate hydrogen peroxide as the bleach to bleach paper without producing any chlorinated hydrocarbons. So, you know, one, one way you could make the process even greener. Uh -huh. So okay. I, I appreciate that knowledge. Uh, I'm a physicist by training. So <laughs> I, yeah. I we would borrow here uh, mainly from the existing chemistries using in, uh, in, in, in the paper industry. Yeah. So, right, right. And so, they're switching. Uh, they are yeah. switching so, now. So yeah, I think the uh, I, I believe the this ion TAML uh, way to active the reaction. I think it will, will work here as well, and we are more than happy to collaborate with chemists uh, to make this whole entire process more like even greener. I would encourage you to get in touch with Terence Collins, and I can send you his yeah yeah please yeah um, email address after after we talk here yeah. Um, so polyvinyl alcohol is the polymer that on this first material that we're talking about, the, the transparent wood, you chose polyvinyl alcohol and, and you detail in your paper a little bit of why you chose that. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about PVA? Well, I mean, the, uh, in, in this, so in this particular work uh, in the AFM paper, uh, we are pushing the clarity of the, of the, uh, the, the wood. And so how good we infiltrate the polymer into the channels uh, is the, really the key, right? So we've been working with epoxy, you know, with some other polymers, and we, it turns out that the PVA with this molecular weight, uh, we are able to uh, get uh, the best infiltration. And uh, uh, most likely uh, also due to the, the hydrophobic nature of this polymer. And after removing the hydrophobic nickname, the, the, the entire- So, so just, uh, I'm, I'm gonna slow you down a little bit here. So hydrophilic means it's, it's water loving. And so it's sort of the opposite of um, hydrophobic, which is greasy. And mm -hmm. we've talked about cellulose already on the, on twist and, um, water and cellulose are 
are very compatible. And so the polyvinyl alcohol, and we talked about alcohols as disinfectants as well. The PVA is an alcohol, but it's a polymer alcohol. So hmm. it, it hydrogen bonds in this with the cellulose and makes a very, I think what Professor Hu is saying is that it's a very tight bond between the, the cellulose and the PVA. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah, thank you. So I, yeah, that's thank you for yeah the explanation. I think that that's uh, exactly what we uh, we were meant to say. Um, yeah, and then in the process, um, you use reduced pressure. You degas. You you pull the gas out. Now is is that to pull the gas out of the the tubes of the cellulose that we've been talking about? The degas and uh, the wood slice was then infiltrated by degas, uh, degassing the, the solar machine. It's really to get the polymers in, yeah. Yeah, so you got to get the air out of the tubes of exactly, the cellulose. Yeah. yeah. And so you pull the air out with a vacuum. Yeah. And then the polymer soaks in and takes its exactly. place. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Um, and I think it was at ninety degrees. It doesn't take long to soak it in, I don't think. About 15 minutes. Oh, just 15 minutes. So that, that's really advantageous for manufacturing to have it be that quick. Yeah, and you don't have to melt it like you have to melt glass at high temperature. Yeah, the, the, yeah we, we, we were afraid of the, 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 the decomposition of the material, the wood, you know, uh, when we heat up to too high temperature. <clears throat> yep. Okay. Yeah. Again, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I'm 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 really psyched about this material. Don't get me wrong. I I love it. I think it's really cool looking stuff. There's lots of wonderful pictures in in uh, Professor Who's papers. Um, but I did look into PVA a little bit, and it is flammable. So I was thinking, oh these windows are going to be flammable. But then is that really a problem? Because houses are made of wood, right? And houses are flammable. <laughs> so when, you, when, you, when, you, when the house is on fire, I think we don't care that much. <laughs> we don't care about what happens to the, your windows, right? And they're, um, they're easier to manufacture than the so glass for the, windows. You know, for structural point of view, uh, you know, carbon-based material may not necessarily be bad than than like no. material like glass and steel. Those material, when the temperature goes up under fire, they actually they become very soft. They are not a structure supported material anymore. Right? Yeah. So for example, if you you know the, the big building big building under fire, then if you support it steel, for example, yeah, right, Ooh. and then then the mechanical strength is going to reduce dramatically uh, with the temperature. Yeah. So they cannot be supported as a supported, but if you have a wood-based material and under fire, they will be carbonized. So they they will be weaker, but they will take a longer time. Uh, you oh, know, interesting. It's not a very quick response uh, of the mechanical property versus the temperature. Yeah, I've seen like old log cabins um, where only the surface is burned, you know, because the wood is so thick and yeah. They, oxygen can't get in exactly, yeah. to the wood to burn exactly. it so exactly after you infiltrate the polymer inside 
you know, you don't have those channels anymore. So the oxygen right. penetration or transport is reduced dramatically. So of course, eventually it will burn, but it may burn at a much reduced rate. Right. It's sort of like trying to burn wet wood and a campfire because uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. your your wood is wetted with the pva yeah yeah okay. but we did some other polymers as well in this particular work i think we the the goal is really to to push the optical clarity yeah i actually like pva as a choice because it, as you pointed out it's an environmentally friendly yeah. and when it burns it won't produce dioxins because there's no chlorine so it's not like polyvinyl chloride yeah and it won't produce um nit nox nitrogen oxides yeah. Yeah. that are air pollutants so you know when it degrades it's it's degradable by microorganisms yeah so and that sort of leaves, leads me to my last question about the transparent wood. Have you thought about things like algae growing on it because it's an organic material? Um, like the north side of my house has yeah. algae growing on the paint, which is yeah. a polymer. And so, you know, and my wood pile um, for my wood stove has algae growing on it. So that might be something to think about. But I know from the, the chemistry lab that when yeah. we have water in our condensers, yeah. if we just hang a piece of copper wire in yeah. there, then the algae doesn't grow. So yeah. I was wondering if you'd thought about adding just a very low concentration of copper or something, you know, some relatively cheap metal yeah. I as think the a... Uh -huh. um, antimicrobial to keep algae from growing on the yeah, windows. I think that's a very uh, uh, valid point. I mean, because of this process on this porous uh, um, uh, scaffold, I, I think it should be very straightforward to incorporate ion, the copper ions. Yeah. And, uh, and remember, cellulose has a lot of hydroxyl groups. Right. So chemically, it's very easy, very provide a lot of opportunity to do the, the chemical treatments, right? Yeah, so, yeah, some kind of antimicrobial yeah. metal, like cheap yeah. earth abundant metal, like copper. <laughs> we have done that already. We haven't introduced into wood uh, um, for some other purpose. We have we have been able to do that. Yeah, it, it's right. Okay. It's very straightforward. So now let's switch gears and talk about aesthetic wood. And the the point of this is that you have intact wood patterns that are very pretty, especially if you're a big fan of wood. Yeah. <laughs> so um, could you, you wanna talk about the differences between the aesthetic wood? So a lot of the things that we've already talked about are similar, so we can skip <clears throat> over those. Uh, this aesthetic wood is really to address two key challenges. Uh, why is, you know, um, uh, you know, when you are removing the ligni from wood, you know, uh, ligni are kind of distributed in the cellulose matrix, right? So they're very tight regions that ligni is very hard to be removed, right? So from, from process point of view, uh, we can quickly remove the, 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 the ones uh, kind of exposed in the cell walls. 
So that will dramatically increase the uh, speed, uh, manufacturing speed. At the same time, actually introduce a, a very interesting patterns in uh, uh, in the result in the transplanted wood, uh, as we show in the paper. Yeah, and those patterns are very attractive. So make the transplanted wood, uh, you know, um, like very beautiful. It's more not like a very plain glass upgrade. Uh, for many beauty applications, you know, uh, you know, having additional patterns uh, may be preferred, you know, for decoration purposes. In addition to energy efficiency, you know, and and, and diffusing know. the light. Exactly. Yeah. So you really uh, the student were trying to play with the fabrication of the transparent wood, and then they they have a difficulty to completely remove the lignin, because you know between the cell walls, the lignin get very tightly trapped. So if, especially for some kind of wood, it's almost very, you know, almost impossible to remove them. So right. that's why you, sometimes you see, we use uh, basa wood. Sometimes we use, uh, in this case, I, I forget it, yeah. As, Douglas uh, fir. Douglas fir uh, uh, is because the patterns look beautiful as well as uh, just intrinsically the certain regime of the lignin is very hard to be removed. Yeah. So we're trying to take advantage of the the this difficulty i just i have an application i have a big picture window uh -huh. and i have birds that fly into it all the time <laughs> this world. could save a lot of birds yeah, for can, uh... big windows but anyway this this would be useful for you know tall buildings and especially for Latin, you know yeah, like like outposts for. I mean, we've been talking to quite a few large many, uh, you know, building companies. Uh, sure. They care about uh, uh, not not just energy efficiency, strengths and so on. They 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 they, they care about the the, the pattern. They, they, you know, people try to make uh, many materials look like wood because wood you, you feel are close to nature. But in this case, we have a transplant. If you make it very much like a glass, you know, people may forget it's wood anymore, right? So if you have these patterns. And this is an, an, another potential advantage um, uh, for uh, um, for you know building designs. So um, in this paper, you used um, sodium chloride instead of hypochlorite, and this was NaClO two. And I just want to point out that that produces only 10% as much dioxin as bleach. Um, so that's a good thing. That's a decrease mm -hmm. in the amount of dioxin produced. Um, and the conditions were a little bit different. They, you did it at acidic pH with acetic acid. I have to be careful of my pronunciation, acidic and acetic acid. Um, and only for about two hours to do the bleaching so that it's a partial bleaching to get to keep these patterns exactly. in the wood. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. In in this one you use this is in um, nature communications, I believe. Yes. Um, and the um, the resin or the polymer that you used was a aeromarine epoxy resin. And um, I was, I, I was trying to find out what's in it. Um, all I could find was that it was a glycidyl ether. So that's all carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. 
But I think for any epoxy, epoxy resin, there has to be an amine component that's like a nucleophile to open up that epoxide. And I was wondering if like their website, the Aeromarine website, uh -huh. said that there's some yellowing when it's left exposed to mm -hmm. UV light, probably yeah. from the nitrogen. Um, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's one of the problems we always talk about, the, the yellow is kind of after exposed. Yeah. Uh, after exposure. And um, yeah. So Again, that's I, why I, the PVA, the polyvinyl alcohol, might have an <clears throat> advantage there. Yeah. Yeah. So. Did you want to say anything else about the aesthetic wood first? Uh, I, I think that that's good. I mean, the the is a, a not is a, just additional uh, feature uh, compared to other transparent wood and um, the more manufacturable. Uh, so these are the two key feature, uh, you know. Um, yeah, easier to manufacture. Yeah. yeah, and it has some. It it is really quite. I like the word aesthetic that you chose. It's, <laughs> it's really quite beautiful. Yeah, um, I think we, we we do this kind of research because we, when we talk to the industry, uh, they sometimes they have a need, uh, so they 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 ask me to do certain things, or they 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 ask me whether I have this kind of product. So um, yeah, talking to the industry is really helpful. I mean, very often they you know, uh, and then that actually promote us to think you know. Uh, come up with this kind of ideas at the, sec sec at the same time students come up with a problem you know they're trying to remove the nigni and they found this is a problem and then listen, let's just go with that yeah yeah and i think that serendipity is really important in science where yeah. you know our students tell us oh well this is what's happening in the lab and i you know i can't solve this problem but maybe it's not a problem maybe we, maybe it's a feature it's not a yeah. bug it's a feature exactly <laughs> Yeah, that's the way uh, we're looking at things, especially now at this, uh, this difficult time, you know. <laughs> sure. So today we've been talking to Professor Liang Bing Hu from the University of Maryland, and we talked about two of the papers. The um, are they products yet? Either one of them? Are they? Is anyone going to manufacture them? <clears throat> So we, we have a spin-off company, uh, uh, Invent Wood, uh, is basically uh, trying to manufacture those materials. This uh, is your company? Yeah, I'm, I'm a co-founder of the company. What is the name of it again? Uh, it's called Invent Wood. Invent Wood. Cool. Yeah. Has it been there for four years now? Okay. And uh, um, So you got the whole thing going from the beginning of the pipeline to the end. <laughs> yeah, I... I uh, I, I, I feel this is important because uh, um, uh, it's just like you have two legs, right? you have to make a full work. So you, you, you develop something and, and now we're trying to see whether we can really push to the practical use and the manufacturing. Okay. Manufacturing is the main challenge. Yeah. yeah. So That's I just wanted to summarize then. Um, we talked about the advantages of the properties, both the physical and the optical and the thermal properties, all of these advantageous properties of transparent wood compared with glass mm -hmm. and um, how it was made. Um, there's a, a little bit of room for improvement in the way in the bleaching process, but 
all the advantages of this over glass make it really worthwhile. Um, and then the aesthetic wood added on top of that, this idea of the wood patterns um, by not taking all the lignin out of the wood, um, you, you have these interesting wood patterns on a transparent piece of glass or in, I should say, in the glass, in the transparent glass, um, which have good, you know, uses of their own. And so I just really want to thank Professor Hu um, for your time. I really appreciate it. And yeah. we'll say our goodbyes now. Thank you very much for having me here. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. My guest this afternoon is Professor Shenhui Fan. Um, he is a professor of electrical engineering at Stanford. And today we're going to talk about radiative cooling, um, which is very cool. <laughs> okay, so the idea here is to um, take some of the radiation from the sun and bounce it back into space, which is a, a big thermal energy sink. It's very cold out in outer space, about three degrees Kelvin. It's very close to absolute zero. First, I'd like to ask Professor Fan to in tell us about his academic pathway to his current position. Uh, okay, yeah, hi. Uh, well, thank you for having me here. Uh, I'm a professor of electrical engineering at Stanford, and uh, uh, I've been at Stanford for about uh, almost 20 years as a faculty member. Uh, prior to that, I was a graduate student and then a postdoc at uh, MIT, where I did my PhD in uh, theoretical condensed matter physics. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, so let's just start, um, and you can explain... A little bit, you know, this is such a very general audience. So if you could mm -hmm. just explain your core concept right. of this radiative cooling um, in terms that the general public can okay. get their teeth into. Okay. So uh, as you mentioned, radiative cooling is a, a technique uh, where uh, one radiates heat out uh, to the universe. And in this process uh, is a dissipative process and therefore is a cooling process. So uh, now uh, the mechanism that's involved is, uh, is in fact uh, something that we do on uh, every, uh, every second. And we do that all the time and that's thermal radiation. Uh, so uh, in fact, all of us emit uh, radiation. Uh, these are infrared radiation that you cannot see with human eyes. Uh, but uh, you can certainly see with an infrared camera. Uh, and uh, so uh, that radiation carries the heat out away from you. So it goes outward. Uh, when you stand outside, uh, part of that radiation uh, can go through the atmosphere and get to the outer space. Maybe uh, I'll give two examples of... Uh, 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 thermal radiation. Uh, if you stand in front of a, a covered uh, with a glass cover uh, uh, stove or oven, you will feel hot. That hotness comes from the radiation of the fire behind it to you. Okay, 
So this is one example. Uh, the second example is uh, closer to what I'm going to say on radiated cooling, but it requires some uh, geographic experience. When I was in Boston uh, in a winter night, if you stay close to a window that's closed, you can feel a draft sensation. You feel like as if there's a cold wind that's uh, blowing there, even though it's completely still air and, uh, and, uh, uh, and the window is closed. And I think you can try it. Oh, I felt it. You felt it. And yeah. because our body, of course, interpret coldness by, as wind, as a wind blow, but there's no wind. What happened is that in that case, you radiate heat out from your body through the window to the outside. Okay. Yeah. So that you should try in a winter night. Uh, uh, I think Virginia would work. Uh, and uh, uh, that's in fact the process that we're doing for radiated cooling. Uh, radiated cooling is simply that our body or any of the earthbound object, given sky access, will be able to radiate heat out through the atmosphere uh, to the outer space. Okay, so now let's let's talk about um, the sort of applications. We're going to do this a little bit backwards. We'll talk about yeah. the applications. Mm -hmm. Um, before we talk about your design and the chemistry. Right. right. So, so uh, the natural application that one can think of is to do uh, air conditioning. Uh, so uh, this, as I mentioned, this is a process that uh, naturally occur. Uh, however, uh, one of the uh, important thing is to be able, if you want to do air conditioning, uh, one of the important things to be able to do it during the daytime. So, uh, and that's uh, something called daytime radiated cooling. And that requires something in addition, in addition to uh, get the radiation to get the heat out, uh, you will also like to make be, sure, be able to reflect the sunlight so that the sunlight doesn't heat up the object. And that's the work that we have done. So it's uh, much harder. That's much harder, right? But prior to this, uh, there's a long history of radiated cooling at night. Uh, there, uh, in fact, is a very simple experiment that almost anyone can try. Take a black object and go to the roof and uh, surround the object with an enclosure to cut down the parasitic conduction. You will see that the black object has a temperature that's easily 10 degrees Celsius below ambient. You can do that. I wonder, I wonder yeah. if my solar panels on my roof here are cooler uh, at night because they're black right. and they're enclosed. Yes. So I think you can see it. Also, uh, in fact, this process uh, is part of the process that uh, here in California, you will see ice on the window of a car in the winter. Uh, even though the temperature never fell below freezing. So nighttime cooling actually is quite ubiquitous. Uh, right. Daytime, on the other hand, uh, you need to do quite a bit extra work. And that was the work that we have done. And that connects to the air conditioning. Of course, uh, the uh, strongest need of air conditioning is a hotter time, which is under the sun. 
So the, the idea is to cool the surface of, say, the air conditioner cooling fluid. So it's sort of like a pre-cooling effect. I actually have a preheater, solar preheater for my mm -hmm. um, hot water in my house. Yeah. And um, then it uses a natural gas on-demand booster mm -hmm. for that heat. Right. So the idea here is that you're pre-cooling the air conditioner fluid before it goes through the actual refrigerant cycle, I guess, is, is what... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it turned out that just like in your preheating, that can very significantly boost the efficiency of the overall system, pre-cooling does the same thing. Uh, if you cool the liquid uh, inlet temperature by a couple degrees Celsius, uh, that translates uh, by system calculation into about 10 to 15 degree, 10 to 15% improvement in system efficiency, right. which is uh, quite substantial. Um, so, so I have a practical question about that. Does it have to be a flat surface? And what about the orientation to the sun or to the atmosphere? Does that matter? Because I know when the sun comes through at an angle in the winter, we get less radiation. So is that also true reflecting it out? Like if you reflect it out perpendicular to the earth, um, directly out, does that work better than at an angle? Uh, so uh, the, the main process of this is emission. So the, uh, it's a radiation of the panel out. Uh, the shortest pathway uh, through the atmosphere is normal. Normal to the Earth's it's normal. surface. Uh, so therefore, the ideal position is directly face the sky normally. Right. However, so straight up, straight up yeah. for a, for a chemist and a physicist, we understand normal, but normal yeah. <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean the same thing to most people. Yeah. Straight up, yeah. straight up. Uh, but uh, unlike the solar system where, because the sun come in at a very specific angle and you have to track it. Uh, in this case, the, uh, the something called the transparency of the atmosphere actually doesn't degrade that much if you move to even uh, maybe 20 to 30 degree away from the straight up direction. Okay. So in reality, it uh, uh, does not matter too much. So it would be okay to have these on a sloped roof? It would be uh, completely okay. Yeah, uh, okay. And in fact, uh, uh, one of the things we thought about was that many of the slope roof is facing north away from the sun where you cannot do a solar panel anyway. Ah, the backside of my house. The backside of your house, yes. And that, for radiated cooling, is perfect. That is really cool. Okay, so now let's switch gears and talk about your design process. And I'll, I'll let you um, first describe the layered material mm -hmm. and the materials that go into that. Since I'm a chemist, I'm going to have a bunch of questions about those materials. Okay. Um, I'm a green chemist. Okay. So. Okay. So uh, the uh, by now, by the way, there are very large number of materials and structures that people have built. 
up to now that uh, to the extent that I don't think I can give you an easy overview of every material that people tried. Okay, well, maybe, maybe let's, um, let me share um, the paper that I read um, and this particular figure. So uh, if you, so let me in that case, just highlight the general features of it that actually is applicable for uh, most materials that people use. Uh, there are uh, two important ingredients for these kind of daytime radiated cooler. One of them is that you need to radiate the heat out. And uh, the radiation that's being used is in the uh, wavelength range where the atmosphere is transparent. And that's somewhere on the order of 10 micron or so. And so uh, many material, in fact, radiate fairly strongly in that wavelength range. One of these material is uh, silicon dioxide, common glass. Uh, the silicon and oxygen atom vibrates uh, against each other. And that vibration give out radiation that happened to be sitting exactly in this wavelength range. So... Uh so, so this, I, I just wanted to a quick note about the wavelength range. Um, for chemists, we usually talk in terms of infrared in inverse right. centimeters rather right. than microm micrometers. Right. Right. Um, so this is in the range of eight to 13 micrometers. Mm. You said 10 yeah. is kind of ideal. Yeah. And um, I, I, I wanted to point out that even carbon dioxide and methane, even methane, um, don't interfere with that 10 micron window. Um, although methane has a band that goes from about 7.2 to 8.3 micrometers. So, you know, that, that window that you said starts at eight, um, yeah. it's on the edge of that, that region. Uh, exactly. So in fact, uh, and that comes in from the fact that the, uh, uh, it just interestingly, the, the molecules in the atmosphere is such that they don't absorb much in this window. They conspire to not to absorb in this window. And the presence of this window then, in fact, has quite a bit to do with the equilibrium temperature of Earth. Hmm. Yeah, uh, so uh, you could, in fact, uh, uh, yeah, but I think it, it, you are exactly right. This is the, uh, uh, in many ways, we're doing almost the anti-greenhouse effect. We're looking at a wavelength range where there is no greenhouse effect and try to get more heat to go through the atmosphere precisely in where this place is. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what we're talking about is um, carbon dioxide, even though it's a linear molecule, um, it does have two absorption bands in right. the infrared region. And methane is spherically symmetric. Well, not, not exactly, it's, it's a tetrahedral molecule, yeah. but, but it also has these carbon hydrogen. So methane is carbon with yeah. four hydrogens attached right, yeah. and it has these other two bands that um, have bending motions 
between the oh, a hydrogen see. carbon and a hydrogen. And I so see. that scissoring motion is, oh, can give you a dipole moment. That's interesting. That, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. You've, you've got molecular motions for those two molecules, but dinitrogen or not, what's the major component of our atmosphere yeah. is just N2 and yeah. there's no asymmetry that would cause it to absorb in the infrared region. Oh. Yeah, people actually, they're a very detailed spectrum of uh, transmission of atmosphere and every dip has a chemical uh, name yes. on it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I must say I'm not looking into it in that detail, but uh, but it's very interesting what you said about uh, carbon dioxide and methane and how they. Yeah. So in other words, if the molecule is complicated enough, uh, even if it looks like it's a nonpolar molecule, it actually can have many interesting way to create dipole moment. Right. And and uh, just for the listeners, dipole moments are required for molecules to absorb in the infrared region. And this is yeah. for carbon dioxide and methane. That's what causes global warming. Right. All right. So enough of that. Um, let's move on to your design. And right. you can talk about um, the yeah. layered material. Right. So uh, as I mentioned, the, uh, the thermal emitter in this case are uh, silicon dioxide and also silicon carbide in this particular design. Uh, both are polar and therefore emit radiation. Uh, they are also transparent in the solar wavelengths range so that it doesn't absorb sunlight. And then beneath these layers of uh, silicon dioxide and silicon carbide, we put in a multi-layer reflector. In this case, it's a multi-layer reflector made of uh, a titanium oxide magnesium fluoride on top of a silver mirror. So can I ask about yeah. um, the, the, you say three sets of five layers of magnesium fluoride mm -hmm. and titanium dioxide right. um, with varying periods. In other words, the thickness varies in a very right. precise way. Is that a diffraction pattern that you're trying to create? Uh, very close. It's a diffraction pattern to enable you to reflect. A reflectance so, pattern. Yeah. So it's a, there's a word for it called Bragg scatter. Oh, it's a Bragg refractor. I have heard of that. Yeah. So it's diffraction backward. Diffraction backwards. Yeah. Yes. Diffraction usually kicks somewhere in a predefined direction. If you choose the period right, that diffraction will go exactly backward. Okay, again, straight up. <laughs> yeah, straight up. Yes, exactly. And <laughs> that's uh, gonna be I think we're gonna call this little segment straight up. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then the silver mirror um, is necessary to reflect any light that makes it all the way through the other layers. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So you need it to be a mirror. Exactly. So kind. that the entire thing needs to be a mirror for incoming sunlight. What do they use on the back of regular mirrors? I've never even thought about that. Before. Uh, your bathroom mirror is silver backed. Is it? Oh. Yeah, your bathroom mirror is a piece of glass on top of. So it's a, actually, that's not how they make. They evaporate silver on a glass. 
Is that right? Oh, yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Never knew that. So that's a lot of silver. How thick? Light doesn't penetration through them. Uh, I don't know the practical number. Theoretically, a couple hundred nanometer works. Okay. So yeah, a couple sense. hundred nanometers is, is like 0 0.2 micrometers. So it's very, very thin. What's a micrometer? That's a micrometer is 10 to the minus six meters. Yeah. So if you can imagine that, you know, we're talking, you know, a thousand times thinner than a millimeter. Right. Yeah, it's a very small amount of silver. So it doesn't take much of that. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, what's the overall thickness of the material? Uh, so uh, I think we might have it on the paper there. It's about a couple micron. Four? Yeah, we might have Six, uh, I think it's a six. It's a six micron? Yeah, it's on that scale. Uh, a few micron worth of material. And it's uh, only like two microns, about two microns of the, the magnesium fluoride titanium dioxide right. multi-layer. Right. Yeah. So very little of that. Yeah. Very little. Wow. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about earth abundance of these materials. So mm -hmm. one of the cool things is that most of these elements are have high earth abundance. Magnesium yeah. is almost as earth abundant as iron, which mm -hmm. is the most yes. abundant transition yeah. metal. It's one yeah. of the, you know, it's like the third most abundant yeah. fourth most abundant yeah. element. Um, silicon is, silicon yeah. and oxygen are the most abundant right. elements on the planet. If you yeah. think we've said this before on, on this podcast, um, it's like all the grains of the sand on the earth. Right, you know? exactly. Yeah. So we think of um, silicon dioxide as sand. It's, it's the same thing. And then Titanium also is really high earth abundance. It, so we're talking um, silicon and oxygen are 10 to the fifth milligrams per kilogram of, of the earth's crust, okay? And titanium is 10 to the third. Magnesium is 10 to the fourth. Hmm. Um, interestingly, okay, so the least abundant element in your material is hafnium. And uh, it's not bad. It's three, yeah. three milligrams per kilogram of earth. It's not one of those 10 to the minus two or 10 to the minus three elements. Um, some of the really rare ones. Yeah. And um, fluorine is 585. So it's, you know, more than half neum. Um, and it's actually fluorine is more than carbon, which is only 200 milligrams Ooh. per kilogram. Really? I okay. always think of carbon as being such an abundant thing because right. it's the basis for life, yeah. all life. Yeah. But we're just, life is such a thin layer on the earth that <laughs> it's not much carbon. Yeah. Uh, and, and we worry about carbon dioxide in the atmosphere at, you know, 350 parts per million, 400 parts right. per million. It's, yeah. it's not abundant. Um, so, but, you know, carbon's, carbon's not the issue here. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to point out that, that these are pretty good in terms of earth abundance. And, mm -hmm. um, and then I don't know much about magnesium fluoride. I'm not an inorganic chemist, 
but I was sort of wondering about the stability of, well, first the stability of the layers towards migration, like do over time and with heat and light, if they might migrate into each other and sort of screw up your carefully layered system. Uh, so uh, in fact, uh, in many subsequent designs where we fabricate, uh, we actually experimentally fabricated uh, multi-layer structure, uh, those structures are uh, the, they, you don't need a control of the thickness to a very high degree. You don't need nanometer scale control of the thickness. Uh, the reason is that it turned out that the solar spectrum is very broad. So for reflection purpose, uh, many of these structures are actually fairly tolerant to, uh, let's say, a little bit of uh, smoothing between the uh, different interfaces. Uh, so optically, uh, the solar wavelength itself is on the order of a few hundred nanometers. So a few nanometer change in the structure uh, does not have substantial impact on the reflectivity. So you don't think that the material, like you would start getting migration of the magnesium fluoride into the titanium dioxide and a mixing of the layers? Uh, if, even if you do, uh, at the few nanometer scale, uh, it would not uh, impact the kind of optical properties that we are looking at uh, in a significant way. Mm. Okay. And, and also, I should say that uh, uh, this, our experimental paper, uh, are multi-layers of hafnium oxide and silicon dioxide. Oh, okay. We, the, our experimental paper did not use uh, magnesium fluoride at all. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so this was more the theoretical. More the theoretical. The initial paper, we simply uh, take, uh, just find a material to, so that we can do calculation. Okay. And later on, when we fabricated the uh, experimental, also the experimental structure is substantially simpler than this. Okay. Uh, you see, for example, that is nanostructured on top of the surface. On top surface is nanostructured in the design. Yeah, so. Oh, uh, it is much simpler. It's much simpler, yeah. But it does the same thing. There's uh, the operating principles are identical. So uh, silicon, silver, a yeah. thin layer of silver. Then there's alternating hafnium dioxide and silicon dioxide. Exactly. Yeah. All the way up. All the way up. And that's a, a no surface structure. Either. No surface besides just silicon dioxide, which is like glass. So this is like glass. It's basically like glass. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so uh, I guess uh, here, as you mentioned, I think everything is fairly abundant. There's not even carbon here. No, not even carbon. Um, yeah. Hafnium would be your least abundant thing. Right. Um, but there, as you said, it's very thin. Very, yeah, it's very thin. Yeah. And, also, it's, and it's the oxide, so it's not very much yeah. hafnium. Yeah. Also, um, if necessary, I don't know if titanium is more abundant than hafnium. Uh, but you can be replaced as oh, a way, way more abundant. Yeah. 10 to uh, the third. Yeah. So the hafnium oxide can be replaced by titanium oxide. Oh, that's uh, great. Yeah. That so, really simplifies everything because titanium dioxide is yeah. cheap. 
I mean, they put it in paint to make paint white. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The reason we use hafnium uh, in this particular case is that uh, we, uh, we have a company make a structure for us. Oh. And they specialize in uh, depositing hafnium oxide. Okay. Uh, so, so hafnium oxide it is, but, uh, uh, but it's not required at all. So I, I didn't look at the periodic table, but hafnium I think is right under titanium on the periodic table. Okay. Uh, let me take a quick look at that. Yes, it's two rows down okay. under zirconium. So it's titanium, okay. then zirconium, then hafnium. So okay. it's more expensive and more rare um, than titanium, but it would have a lot of similar electronic properties because yeah. of where it is in the mm -hmm. periodic table. They're, yeah. they're sort of a family. Right. They make a family. Yeah. So, uh, as, yeah, as I said, uh, yeah, in fact, uh, uh, this system, one thing is that it really doesn't depend on electronic properties. This is really just optical refractive index. Oh, well, when, when, um, when a chemist speaks of an electronic property, we're, oh, we're, we're speaking mean, of the electrons. Okay, yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> so, uh, I'm not yeah. talking about the engineering kind of electronics okay, yeah. or the technology. Yeah, right, yeah. sorry, yeah. good point. I'm glad yeah. you pointed that out for the listeners. Yeah. Okay, so this is looking better and better with each question I ask. Um, so yeah, um, I'll, all of this, what about the manufacturing costs, the energy costs of manufacturing these materials? So uh, again, um, one can go a step further. Uh, so in other words, uh, uh, you will gradually see that every paper we publish has a different material system. <laughs> okay. So uh, if you look at a paper by uh, Goldstein, oh, I did, I, oh, I did attach that, the Nature yep. Energy paper. Yep, can, uh, there it become a polymer up. film. Okay. Yeah, this one. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, there, I don't think we show a structure, but uh, the, you can see that this is being scaled up into maybe about half a meter square worth per each panel. Okay. And these are actually polymer films made out of a row-by-row -row process. Huh. And uh, it's made by, I think, uh, this is made by 3M. Okay. The film. Now, now, uh, now we get into my concerns about plastics in the environment. Right. But right. <laughs> yeah. so I'm, I'm more a fan of your, a bigger fan of your silicon dioxide, titanium dioxide yeah. layers. Yeah. I think so, that's friendlier to the earth. That they, uh, I think that's true. Like I said, in many of these things, we, as you can see, we do what we can uh, right. in many of these things. But uh, multi-layer deposition uh, is uh, over large scale is a known art. So uh, right. I, yeah, okay. uh, even though we have not done large scale deposition of uh, let's say titanium oxide silica, but uh, that kind of a deposition capability certainly exists. Oh yeah, I did it when I was in graduate school. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I, exactly. I, I was spattering. They called it spattering. Uh, yeah, spattering, right? I was spattering palladium yeah. onto silicon wafers. Right. 
Yeah, so these processes are uh, very well established. Uh, okay. and, uh, and also, I think the important thing is that we, uh, we don't require electron transport. So the material quality uh, requirement is far lower compared, for example, with like a, a photovoltaic kind of application. Oh, so you don't need a clean room. You don't need any special manufacturing no. capabilities. So it should yeah. be pretty straightforward. Yeah. Um, and you could use solar energy to do, you know. Yeah, many of the uh, energy uh, inputs. So, uh, so I would say that they, uh, the actual uh, manufacturer cost and the uh, energy cost associated with the manufacturer should be a lot lower compared with PV. Are you, are you planning to do a life cycle analysis on the energy, the net energy gains? Uh, we, I don't think we have done that, but it's very likely that people have done it already. Okay. Yeah. Uh, as I said, this is becoming uh, a, a substantial literature uh, associated mm -hmm. with it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to see that you're getting into manufacturing as well. Do you have a company or are you just so, working with a company? So we have a company uh, that's based on this uh, nature energy paper. What is it uh, called? Uh, it's called Sky Cool. Sky Cool. <laughs> Sky Cool. Yeah. So Eli Goldstein is running the company. Uh, yeah. The three of us on the Nature Energy paper uh, started this company, uh, and uh, uh, and the aim is to uh, to really push this into air conditioning systems. That's great. Yeah. It's very interesting. In other words, uh, once you realize how the principle works there are enormous number of different structures and materials you can actually use for radiated cooling. Uh, as I think uh, Professor Hu's work is a very interesting example that he was able to get cooling out of wood uh, by engineering in a very clever way. So, uh, so there are just enormous number of different things that one can think of. Well, this has been really enlightening and really cool. <laughs> Right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for talking with us today. And right. um, I think we'll, we'll say that we're, you know, really eager to see what happens with radiative cooling and all the different possible materials and the, the hope that these will soon be incorporated into consumer products that can be used in buildings and change you know i think cooling is well with global warming cooling is the bigger problem than heating a mm -hmm. house um, i didn't used to need air conditioning in blacksburg when i i've been here 20 years also um and now i use you know instead of using it for about two weeks every summer i use the air conditioner about two months every summer so I still don't use it a lot. I keep, I keep the temperature set at 78 degrees Fahrenheit instead of 72, which some people, I think, I was like, why would you want to be cold in the summer? <laughs> so thanks again. Um, oh, thank you. And good luck to you. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. So I wanted to do a little wrap up on today's twist. 
We first talked to Professor Bing Hu at the University of Maryland about transparent wood, and the advantages were really good optical transmittance, almost like glass, high clarity and low haze, toughness, and the insulating properties, the low thermal conductivity, um, and the idea of using, um, you know, renewable feedstock in wood and a, a fairly non-toxic um, polyvinyl alcohol polymer to fill the, the wood channels. We also talked about aesthetic wood and having the intact wood patterns um, as a pretty kind of diffuse light for buildings. And then we talked to Professor Fan, Shenhui Fan at the um, at Stanford University about radiative cooling and his materials with the varied layers that allow or actually reflect thermal thermal radiation during this day in the sunlight back out into the atmosphere. It's really cool stuff. Um, seems like there's really no uh, end of different materials that can be used for that. So these building materials are hot windows and cool roofs. This is goodbye from Twist, This Week in Sustainability.